Ghost Train, oh yeah. Welcome to episode 35 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Ghost 81 and here we shall discuss our selection for February 2017. In this episode, we'll take a look at Murdered Soul Suspect. This game did not enjoy much critical success upon its release, but has quietly gained a cult following. In our discussion today, we're joined by Pam, our old friend and regular guest on the show, to discuss whether or not Murdered Soul Suspect is worth your time. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Podbean. As always, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Recorded a little bit earlier in the day today because I was out late last night checking out some bands. There's this band from Austin called Moving Panoramas. They play shows all the time, and I haven't seen them too many times, but I love them. So finally uh, got out to see them again with a couple friends of mine from work, actually. So it was a good night out, but I didn't get home till like after 2 a.m., which is way, 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 way past my bedtime, <laughs> as you all know. So. Well, I certainly can't do 2 a.m. anymore, and yeah, I know about your bedtime schedule, yeah. so yeah, you're pretty uh, regimented as far as going to bed. I'm quite the night owl myself. Uh, I, I love staying up late, and I can function like off like four or five hours of sleep, but for some reason, I can't hang at a concert that late. <laughs> I get really tired. I'm like, why did I come to this? Yeah. How about you, Pam? Night owl or no? Uh, I'm a night owl in that I stay up fairly late, but I don't yeah. go out late. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's me, too. Are you a morning person? I certainly am not. No, not at all. I'm a morning person after that third cup of coffee, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> So what else you been up to, Sean? 
Uh, not too much, actually. Uh, went and saw some anime at a movie theater uh, this morning for the uh, anime brunch club that this thing called Pomegranate Magazine puts on uh, at the Alamo Draft House in downtown mm-hmm. Austin, Texas. Uh, there's one more, and it's just a really cool. They pick a theme every week and play four like somewhat random episodes of anime that fit within the theme. So it's, it's pretty awesome. And when it's over, I'm going to be very sad because it's become like the highlight of my weekend lately. Oh, that's very cool. I've heard a lot about Alamo Draft House. I know nothing about it, but you know that name gets brought up quite a bit. Yeah, it's an awesome place. They're going national now. There, there are ones popping mm-hmm. up, you know, around the East Coast and other, uh, other places okay. in the country. But it started here, and yeah, it's just like the original, like get served food and drink while you're eating. But also, there's like a culture to it, and the owner and founder really likes old movies and obscure movies and foreign movies and all, you know, all that kind of stuff that we like. So it's, yeah. it's really cool. Very awesome. Pam, do you guys have anything like that up around Toronto area? Uh, no, I hadn't heard of that before. How about any like arcades or anything like that up in the area? Uh, yeah, there's a couple different ones. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they're called, but there's uh, a couple sort of bar arcade places, and then there's mm. a few bars that show esports and things. Oh, very cool. I don't know if that's kind of hit our area yet. Of course, I live in the South. We're a little slower to get things than most places. But um, yeah, like with the esports, I mean, I've noticed it on ESPN and and stuff like that, which is kind of odd just to kind of track it on a sports network. But at the same time, kind of cool. I'm so out of sync with what people are playing right now that I'm, I'm so completely lost when I watch it, but though I still find it fascinating and it'll get sucked in for like, you know, maybe 30 or 45 minutes until my wife makes me change the channel. So, yeah. <laughs> so what are the big games right now? I know you're playing a lot of Overwatch, right? Is that, is that sort of becoming an esport or, uh, or no? Uh, it is. I, I know that there are competitions for it. Uh, it's definitely not as big as things like League of Legends. I think that's still a, yeah the sort of most popular one. Uh, but even things like Hearthstone uh, have wow. an esports following. So that's like a card game, right? Sort of like, uh, is it Warcraft based? Is that is that what I'm thinking of? Is that right? Yeah, it takes the characters from Warcraft as the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's a 1v1 card game. Sort of like magic, I guess. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's talk a little bit about pickups. I've picked up some cool stuff lately that I know Sean is uh, very excited about and uh, listeners of our playthrough are going to be excited about, I think. A few new systems on my end. I um, picked up a few handheld systems. I had traded in a lot of my Intellivision collection. I kept a good bit, uh, some of the fun games, but... And television wasn't really that system that I grew up with. I grew up like on the Atari and I played some ColecoVision. And so my heart's really in those systems. But a part of me just can't let go of my Intellivision just because there are some specific games like um, some iMagic titles and Activision things that I uh, that are specific to that system that I want to keep. And there are a few games that uh, are specific to that system that I really love, like uh, like Shark Shark is uh, one of my favorite games on there. But um, needless to say, I traded in a lot of it uh, locally, had some store credit, and uh, 
Sean and I have been talking about that I should be getting a Vita, and I've kind of checked it out, always been interested in it. And when I traded everything in, they didn't have a Vita. And I said, well, if you just put me on your list, let me know when one comes in. So what happened was they called me about two weeks later, and they said, we've got a Vita. I said, cool. They said, you want us to hold it for you? I said, well, how does it look? Is it nice? I said, I don't want anything too scratched up, you know, with the screen and everything. I want a Model 1. You know, I talked to Sean and some other uh, friends of the site about it. And they said, it's a Model 1, and it's um, a Walking Dead edition. They said that it was still in the inside plastic. The person who brought it in had got it for their birthday, uh, along with a PS4, and they never played the Vita. They never got it out of the box. They got so enthralled with their PS4. So I got a brand new Vita, wow. a Model 1. And uh, with store credit and everything, I got it and Killzone Mercenary for less than 50 bucks. So I was pretty happy about that. And then I also picked up a uh, doorstop, I mean a uh, Nintendo 2DS. <laughs> can also be used as an axe head. A ramp for my child's Hot Wheels. <laughs> I've never seen a 2DS in person, but they look cool. I was considering just buying one just because they're so cheap and, and look fun that it would be kind of an oddity in my collection. I don't have one yet, but I think they're, they're yeah. neat looking. Well, my daughter has a Pokemon 3DS, and I figure one day she's going to get tired of that, and that'll just kind of fall into my collection anyway. Yeah. I'm not big on the 3D the look of it, it really hurts my eyes. And I don't know mm -hmm. why that is, but it just doesn't jive with my eyes very well. And I can't play it for long. So the 2DS is sort of everything I wanted. The ability to play 3DS games, which there's, you know, great some great games for it. But just in a 2D format, which is just sort of what I prefer. And um, I know there's a few games I won't be able to play. I think Xenoblade Chronicles is something I'm not going to be able to play. But, you know, that's something I can save and play on a different system or just borrow my daughter's uh, 3DS if I need to. So mm. it was the right fit for me, you know, and that's why I bought it. So, Pam, any new pickups for you? Uh, Well, this past weekend, Will decided that we needed a VR. So he traded in a bunch <laughs> of stuff for a new PS VR set. Yeah, uh, I saw so that. <laughs> I saw that so, on Twitter. <laughs> been picking up things for that. Today we went out and got uh, Drive Club and the Batman game called, I think it's Arkham VR. Uh, so that's our pickups for the last little while. So are you excited about it? Is VR something that you were really looking forward to or you're kind of on the fence about it? It wasn't really something I was looking forward to. I okay. I like I see it sort of as a novelty and something to do for a, you know mm -hmm. maybe half an hour here and there. Sure. Whereas I I wouldn't want to sit down and like I know Resident Evil is the big VR one that just came out and I I can't imagine like sitting and playing for twelve a twelve hour plus game. There are some things like for me I tried this thing called um I think it's PlayStation VR World which came packed in and it's sort of like it's more of a tech demo than any particular games and there's one okay. where you're in like a shark cage and you go down into the ocean and you see all the ocean life and then a shark comes and that was pretty amazing like you can like look up and behind you and all around and uh that's sort of what I like it for so far just mm -hmm. like being mm -hmm. under the ocean or in space or something. I'm not super interested in, you know, shooting people in VR or uh, the horror games, which uh, Will was playing Until Dawn, Rush of Blood. And it was hilarious to watch. But when I put it on, I was like, nope, nope, nope. I don't want any of this. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 
I guess. I mean, that's like the next step and just making it even creepier, right? Playing something yeah. like that. I don't know if I can handle that. I'm yeah. a big horror movie fan, but I don't know if I'm going to be immersed in one like that. Yeah, it's really scary. And, you know, you use the headphones for the positional audio and just like creepy sounds. And then like it takes jump scares to a whole new level when something oh, sure. just appears right in your face and screams like it's it, it's nuts. Wow. Yeah, that sounds intense. I mean, I guess I'm I'm getting a little more where I want to try it out. And like you said, I I like the whole idea of like the shark tank or you know the shark cage, or or something in space like that. I think that's a you know really cool kind of presentation. But I don't know if I'm ready to really game in VR. If that makes any sense. I think like for me, VR to have something like a walking simulator or something like that in VR would be kind of cool. You know, as as opposed to like sitting and playing it on a computer. Yeah. I agree. I think those kind of experiences are definitely more of what I'm interested in. Well, that's a cool pickup. I, I hope he didn't trade a lot of his Sega collection for any of that. I know he had a really nice Sega collection going. Uh, no, not a whole lot of Sega. His Saturn set is still in uh, intact. <laughs> uh, it was, Steel Battalion was the big one. He had a couple oh, of yeah. box thing, and that thing yeah. just... Uh, I don't know. I never played it. It it didn't seem to age well. It didn't look good. The controller <laughs> took up so much room. You did a game room tour video, right, recently, and I remember you saying something like, oh, here's Steel Battalion taking up room, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes up so much room. <laughs> All right. How about you, Sean? Any new pickups? Yeah, funny you should ask. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> funny I should, because some of them came from me, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you're my new, like, go-to guy for odd and hard-to-find Vita games. Holy mackerel, man. I had you and, and even your wife, which was amazing and awesome, <laughs> going and hunting around uh, all these cities and around you to get a couple things for me. So, yeah, I got um, Dungeon Travelers 2, which is not uh, it's not a game I even know that much about, except for that it's just one of those Atlas titles that is just rising in value uh yeah rising in value and just extremely hard to find at the moment and it's one of those things where the GameStop price is not catching up with the trends and uh we were able to grab that one really cheap the other big one was a uh, corpse party uh blood drive special edition which was awesome mm -hmm. because I had pre-ordered this game on Amazon for a really low price, and I don't know if there was some kind of error or something, but my pre-order got canceled, and I was really upset because as soon as the pre-order got canceled, the game got released, and then the price shot up. So I think there was some kind of shenanigans or just a pricing error going on there that they just had to cancel it. But anyway, the price you got that for me was even cheaper than the initial price that I pre-ordered at. So I got a brand new copy of Corpse Party Blood Drive uh, <laughs> Special Edition. So Sealed. Yeah, sealed, which... So now I, I understand you have a little story to tell about you <laughs> picking this game up for yourself. Uh, yeah. So tell me what happened. I, I think I knowing how GameStop works, I have a hunch that I know what you're going to say, but, but let's hear it. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about GameStop is that with with Corpse Party new and sealed, it was twenty two bucks, but a used copy at GameStop is twenty nine ninety seven, <laughs> which is just odd, you know. 
I, I, I don't I have no idea why their price structure is set up that way, but you know, it, it is what it is, and sometimes it works out in our benefit. Um, I'd picked up a sealed copy of the game very early on, probably about a week before I picked up your copy and and I had it and I hadn't opened it up or anything. I just kind of kept it. It was one of those where I was like, well, I don't have a Vita yet, so I don't want to open it up and, uh, you know, uh, just want to keep it sealed just in case, you know, the Vita deal doesn't work out. And it was the same time I sort of had my order in for that Vita, but, um, we found you a copy not too far from where I work. And you were mentioning that, you know, my wife and I are able to find, like, really obscure Vita titles. I think the one game that you mentioned, the Dungeon Travelers 2, the only other one was, like, six miles from my house or 97 miles from my house. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is a game that's hard to find. We live sort of in the country in between two larger cities. And so it's nice because one of them has at least eight or nine game stops and the other one has six or seven. And then there's kind of a city in between that has one as well. So I get, you know, a really good pick of game stops. And when it comes to finding used and more obscure stuff, you know, I have I have a pretty good chance of finding something uh, a lot of times. So as I mentioned, I actually picked up a game for you the other day, right? Yeah. Um, was it Hyperdimension Neptunia? You, some, something, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's so many Hyperdimension games on Vita, <laughs> which I'll get into in a minute. But <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I picked up the Corpse Party, and uh, the guy gave it to me. He's like, oh, it's new. And of course, it had been unsealed, mm. you know, as GameStop does sometimes. Oh, it's new, but, you know, it's out of the case for whatever reason, which doesn't make sense. And so I get it out to the car, and it's because it's unsealed. I'm like, well, I'll take a look just to see what's inside of it, check it out, open it up. And of course, the game's not in it. Yeah. So I have to go back in the store. And, and luckily enough, the guy was like really nice, and he found the game that was like marked new. And it, it just kind of worked out because I was, I was like, I was like, oh no, he's going to think that. Like I took it out and I'm trying to get another game, yeah. you know, to sell it. Yeah. So, but the, the guy that was working there was really cool. He was really nice. And, uh, of course, you know, it all worked out, but, I, but I ended up sending you the sealed copy, um, only because I know you're, you're more of a Vita collector than I did. I'm just kind of dipping my toe in the water, just kind of getting into this. And, you know, I would just rather have, you had the nicer copy anyway. So it, you know, it worked out. Okay. Well, like I said, I appreciate that to the extent that I'll probably open it anyway to play it. But that was very nice of you. And, and again, I, I really appreciate you doing all this hunting. And you should. Open up all sealed games. That goes for everyone I out agree. there. They're there to play. Them up. I mean, if you want to collect something <laughs> that just to look at it, go into uh, baseball cards or stamps or something. So if you haven't guessed, uh, our guest on the show again is Pam, who this is your third show, right, Pam? It is, yes. Yeah, you're becoming the Steve Martin of the uh, uh, playcast here, which I guess is a compliment. I mean, he's a pretty cool guy, right? Yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, him, and, him and Tom Hanks were both in the five-plus club. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember I think they did a skit about that when yeah. Tom Hanks did his fifth, which was really funny. Oh, that was a long time ago as well, kind of back in the day. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're playing right now. Anybody playing anything cool? Pam, you're still playing Overwatch, I see, and getting a lot of enjoyment out of that game. But anything else besides uh, VR stuff? Uh, I've been playing through Rayman Origins. Okay. Which, uh, it was just free with Games with Gold a little while ago. So I've just sort of mm -hmm. been slowly making my way through that. Uh, I really like the Rayman games. They're some of my favorite platformers. I've never played any of them. I own a few, but I've never really played them. Mm -mm. Oh, they're mm. great. Uh, the yeah. new, the newest one especially, I think, is fantastic. 
Rayman Legends, I think. Yeah, they look beautiful. I've seen them. There's Legends and Origins. I've heard great things about. Mm-hmm. I think it's Legends I've heard really great things about. So, yeah. yeah. Play really well Very on cool. the Vita. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So I've been playing that, and I started playing Yakuza Zero. Oh, okay. I'm so Yakuza. jealous. And I've never, I've never played a Yakuza game before, so okay. this is my first time, and it's, uh, it's really good so far. It's just very wacky, and I haven't really gotten to the point where I can do whatever I want. But the opening was fantastic, and there's karaoke, and like everything's very mm-hmm. overdone. Like every time you get into a fight, it's a uh, it's pretty cool so far, although I'm, I'm yeah. not very far into it. Do you have to sing into the controller during the karaoke? No, it's just done like a like a rhythm game. <laughs> so, are you going to do a video on that by any chance? Uh, maybe. Oh, that would be awesome! I'm a huge fan of the Yakuza series, as a lot of our listeners know. I just my last you just wrote an article. Yeah, yeah. my last article was uh. Not a super comprehensive review of, of Yakuza 5, but like I had played that game over the course of like six months, uh, just trying to do everything in it. So that was my last article on the site. I mean, Yakuza 0 now is on that long list of games that we talk about that makes us, makes me at least want to buy a PlayStation 4 because I still don't have one. So <laughs> I'm kind of jealous. Uh, I, I really want to play that, so that's awesome. I, I hope you do decide to do a video on it. I'd love to see that. All right. I will start capturing some footage since awesome. I haven't been doing that. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know, Sean and I have been balancing ourselves on that do we or do we not buy a PS4 rail. We both want one really bad, but for whatever reason, we have not done that purchase yet. So mm-hmm. we know that something that's coming and something we need to do and obviously if we're going to continue these playthroughs is something we're going to have to do at some point right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your other projects that you're working on i know you um you've got media mavens which is your podcast and you guys just had a special guest right yeah we did um two episodes ago i think we had on frida wolf who voices sarah Ryder, who is the main protagonist of the new mass effect andromeda game Wow. That was a really, a really exciting episode to do. Uh, I remember it was Christmas, actually, and I was pretty drunk. And I sent her a message asking her if she wanted to be on my podcast. <laughs> and she said, I was that. getting ready to ask you. <laughs> I, was getting, I was getting ready to ask you. I was like, as fellow podcasters, and if we wanted a special guest, mm-hmm. like, how would we go about that? But apparently, all we have to do, Sean, is get drunk and yeah. type up an email. Just and I know you and I can handle that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Get some liquid courage. <laughs> <laughs> did you squeal when you got the message back? I, yeah. I mean, how did you feel? Yeah, yeah that's pre- so cool. Pretty excited. Um, like immediately, I like screen capped it and sent it to Riley. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, were you nervous having someone like that on the show? Uh, when it actually came time to record, I wasn't yeah. too nervous. Uh, she was cool. super personable, and she just had so many good stories about uh, voice acting and her experiences. She had a story about, oh, what's her name from Alien? The, uh, not not Ripley, the, the Latina. Um, Vasquez? Vasquez, yeah. She had a story about Vasquez, because Vasquez is now owns like a lingerie shop in LA. So she was telling a story about how she went in and Vasquez saw her boobs. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is great. We'll have to check that one out. I haven't had a chance to listen to that one, but I had seen, you know, through Twitter that you uh, had that guest on. So tell everyone how they can find that podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast at mediamavens.simplecast.fm, or you can look for it in uh, iTunes or whatever podcast you use. And you can find your YouTube show at Cannot Be Tamed, correct? That's right. Right now, we are in the last week of our RF Generation site fundraiser, um, and we're doing the donation drive. Uh, this year, we set a goal of $1,500 to basically pay for server cost and to do some a little bit of advertising at uh, some of the uh, expos and things that we attend. Tomorrow will be the 27th. It's going to be the day before the last day. And last week, we were at about $800 raised. We are actually $69 from goal wow. right now, which is amazing. We had such an incredible influx of um, people uh, donating, just so generous. Uh, it's It's been a wonderful thing to see because you get to see a lot of the old members and the old guard who started um, the site coming in. And, you know, they're not really a part of the forums, but they still come in. They donate money. They help us out uh, whenever, you know, we have some technical problems sometimes. And then you see members that have never spoken on the forums, but I get these little emails um, where they tell me about their experience and they're just so thankful for the site and being able to use it. And they love the phone app and uh, you know, everything. And we, we've recently um, put two guys uh, on staff who are from uh, Europe and it's been kind of nice to have them. They've really blown up our database in Europe. And so we're getting a lot of international members, which has been incredibly nice and just been able to speak to some nice people about that, kind of talk to them about is the site being helpful to them, you know, because it's, you know, primarily uh, most of the stuff we have is um, basically North American based, but uh, they've been really impressed with the site and love it and have, you know, been talking about how they've been sending in a lot of submissions and we've really been seeing the site grow in that direction. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see and it's good to know that uh, people out there care donating money to uh, definitely keep the site going and we just hope that it continues to grow and so um, just want to just take a just a second to say uh, just a big thank you definitely looks like we're going to hit that goal and I'm sure that uh, once I post tomorrow about where we're at and how far we're at there'll be a, a definitely a nice influx of uh, donations and uh, just want to say I really appreciate it. Well, do you guys have anything else that you want to discuss? Any other pickups? Anything else you're playing? Sean, did you make it to what you're playing now? No, thank you for asking because I was afraid we yeah, wouldn't get to it. Absolutely. Well, to- I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I get a little carried away sometimes, you know, and uh, just kind of moving along. But definitely want to hear what you have to say and what you're doing. Yeah, no, I mean, this game, I wouldn't even have mentioned it. It just happened to surprise me how much I liked it. And we can roll it on back to the Vita for this one. It's... Um, this game called Mega Tag Mansion Blonde Plus Neptune versus Zombies. And I know that's a mouthful. <laughs> wow. And there's, uh, like I said, there's so many uh, games that are spinoffs or remakes of the Hyperdimension Neptunia series of games on the Vita. There are literally like double digits uh, games from this universe. Um, hmm. So I happened to just grab this one on the cheap and I happened to... When I was looking at games to play, looking for something shorter on howlongtobeat.com, I saw this one clocked in at under 10 hours, so I I started playing it. And it's actually, unlike 
the main series of games, which are uh, RPGs, this is actually like a hack and slash action game. Uh, long story short, just the reason I love it so much, it was like a perfect Vita game. It's the the presentation is bright and colorful. It's really um, cutesy, like you know, all the main character, the whole cast of characters is just cute anime girls, which I love. So um, the gameplay itself are these like little bite sized missions of hack and slash action where it's just like your scenario here is you have to kill 50 zombies. You have to kill 75 zombies. You have to kill two bosses or whatever. And then you just go in and it takes like, literally it can take like 20 seconds depending on how powerful you are. (laughs) So like just, just the bite sized gameplay of it. And then the addiction of like grinding your characters up as, as you go, like, cause there's, like base characters there's like 15 playable characters all with their own like attributes and weapons and leveling and it's a very deep game for a game where the actual gameplay is just like a minute worth of hack and slash it fed my brain in that like rpg sense of tweaking and min maxing my characters and everything but but then also it's just a hack and slash where you play for a minute and then go to the next level or grind on that same level over and over so I really liked it. I thought like who who is ever gonna hear about this game or buy it besides like people like me who like the Vita and like niche Japanese weird anime games. So I would say <laughs> if you see this one on the shelf and it you know, it looks wacky or whatever and you don't know if it's good, like it's pretty good. Look into it and I I had a hell of a time with it and was very surprised how much I liked it. So I wanted to mention that. Cool. Now, is that a Neptunia series? Is it a, typically, is that a hack and slash series or is it more of an RPG type series or is it a mixture of both? Yeah, it's, it started as an RPG, but then like as that main series kept going, they started branching out. There's like a, um, there's one called Producing Perfection, which is like a pop idol simulator. And actually the game that I had you pick up the other day, the Hyperdimension Neptunia mm-hmm. U is the first hack and slash action game that this oh. zombies game was kind of a sequel or spinoff to that. Uh, okay. So I wanted, I had heard good things about the original, uh, the original action hack and slash one. That's why I asked you to get it for me. Cause again, kind of getting a little hard to find. I mean, the copy you grabbed me was like 20 bucks and I can't find it for any cheaper than like 45 or 50 on the internet. So wow. yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to keep the damn thing yeah. now. <laughs> Great. Well, you play it before you send it to me. You might like it. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, very cool. Well, I've been uh, playing a lot of games recently, and really the reason is because I've uh, I've dubbed her Home Vomit House uh, because um, we've had a lot of sickness going through the house. I've missed... Wow, at least five days of work in the last two weeks, uh, just due to illness, uh, myself for two days, and then my kids. It just it goes from one to the next. It's uh, not getting a lot of sleep in the old house these days. But um, one of the things I've played a lot and almost finished is the uh, playthrough for next month, which I'm not going to announce right now. But I've really, really been getting into the playthrough for next month, uh, and I'm ar- I'm already at the end of it. I got to the end of it in two days, which was something I never could do 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's been incredible. Uh, 
but again, I, I will save that. Um, but with my Vita, I've been playing some Shovel Knight on that. And I've really enjoyed that. It's a fun game, um, and all the hype surrounding it is um, definitely real. It's a lot of fun. I've uh, been really enjoying that. It has that real nostalgic kick for me that, uh, that I so much enjoy. It feels like an older game, though you know you're playing something new, you know? Um, really cool. I think the Cartridge Club probably did that a few months ago, right, Pam? Oh, yeah, we did that in, uh, I think it was in the summer? Yeah. Yeah, that was a a fun game. That was a great game. I I hadn't played it until the playthrough, and it was, it was great. That's, like, now on my top 20 games list. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm definitely going to dig into that more and play it. Um, but the one game that's really kind of, uh, grabbed me recently, and I was talking to Sean about this before the call, um, is, uh, NES Remix. I picked that up several months ago for uh, 3DS. I just love it. This is a lot of the classic titles I grew up playing, which is a lot of fun. But like you were saying with the game, um, the Vita game you're playing, the um, uh, Hyper Dimension Neptunia game that you were talking about, Sean, it's that Mm -hmm. those little bits, you know, gives you like little goals to, to master. And some of them can take... Um, you know, 30 seconds can take maybe a few minutes. Everything's on a timer and some could take, you know, just practically seconds. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that about it. Um, I really like that as you're playing, you get a certain number of games. And then as you earn so many coins, you can earn up to one to three coins for, um, every feat that you have to do. When you, when you start earning more coins, it unlocks, more games and so you know i unlocked super mario brothers 3 and and punch out and so you know it's it's a lot of fun and really just kind of enjoying that it's something i can just kind of pick up and put down really easily and so i think there's a lot to say about that nice Let's go ahead and get into our game. Our uh, February playthrough was Murdered Soul Suspect. It's basically a murder mystery with uh, somewhat stealth mechanics, and we'll kind of talk about what somewhat means yeah. as we as we go through this. Uh, it was developed by Airtight Games, which I think is no longer around. I believe this was the last game that they developed. It just didn't work out for them that they could make it and stay around. But it was published by Square Enix in June of 2014. So uh, definitely a big name company behind this title. And I'm sure, you know, sales couldn't have been too bad seeing um, that publisher on the front of the game. 
it, it was one of those titles for me, and I don't know how you guys came across it. I'm going to let you talk about that. But for me, it was one of those games that instantly kind of drew me in looking at the cover. And then I read the back of it. And I was like, oh, this is a game where you die and you have to try to basically solve your own murder. And for some reason, as we talked about with, um, you know, games like Heavy Rain and these sort of murder mystery games, it's just something that's always intrigued me and just always really enjoyed these sort of whodunit sort of capers. So how did you guys first come across this game? I'm pretty sure I didn't know about it right when it was released. I don't think... I. Th- I feel like I heard the news about the developer going under, and that's mm-hmm. what uh, brought the game into my attention. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. I, I really like murder mysteries and m- mystery games. Like, I love the Sherlock series, uh, so this looked like a cool game. Okay. How about you, Sean? How did you come across it? I heard about it before, either while it was in development or just after it had come out, and I was interested in it because it looked a little bit out of the ordinary, like something different, uh, like a third-person action game where you actually play as a ghost seemed pretty neat. But then mm-hmm. there turned out being this like kind of aura about the game that can be best summed up as, oh, this game could have been good, but it has so many problems. Or, or yeah. like I remember listening to uh, Idle Thumbs and Danielle Riendo saying, like, I loved parts of this game, but it had so many problems. And we'll get into those problems, but sure. I think I like kind of sold the game short and wrote it off because of the quote-unquote problems. You know what I mean? And as we get into it, this was really a lesson for me to not just write a game off like that when people like us that are looking for more out of the way kind of niche titles overlooked things underrated things as we'll talk about like this game was really like kind of right in my wheelhouse and i wish i had played it Mm -hmm. sooner or whatever but i'm glad to have played it now it was a lesson of just not taking their word for it when some journalist or podcaster says well too many problems don't bother you know (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's kind of surprised me when you just said that because you're kind of the type of guy and, you know, just um, hosting the show with you. I've, I've always noticed you're kind of the guy that likes to kind of take risk on those type of games, right? I mean, like with the Shadow of Destiny, you know, it's kind of this sort of quirky game, but it's something that you really love and, yeah. and kind of got into. Yeah, and I think like Shadow of Destiny, and I spoke about it a couple of episodes ago, I played that at a time in my life where I was really like going out of my way to like stretch and find weird games and games that had these problems um, (laughs) and just kind of turning my nose up at that and just like proving people wrong, trying to find the good in bad games, so to speak. Not that those are bad games, but I think, you know, you get what I'm saying, like finding good points in games that aren't just AAA blockbusters because we have that cliche of if, you know, if it's not FIFA or Call of Duty, it's not worth it's not worth anything, but like this is one of those like second tier kind of games that you know I need to get back into looking for these kind of games. I've got a million of them in my collection, so <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it, it's really like brought me back to that that kind of time. So yeah, and this isn't the first time we've done that. I think we we often try to pick a lot of titles that are very popular, but. Oftentimes, I think we really like picking titles that are definitely floating kind of under the radar. Actually, Pam joined us uh, last February when we played uh, Folklore. And uh, that was one of those games, you know, that was kind of flying under the radar as well. And, uh, you know, some of us didn't have the greatest experience with it. And, uh, you know, even, you know, in the year-end show, we kind of, 
you know, in our call, like I think half of us liked it. The other half didn't really care for it and were more disappointed with it. But, you know, it's fun to try these types of games out. And I really enjoy, you know, that type of experience as far as not playing a game that everyone's always boasted about being such a great game and just, you know, kind of podcasting and agreeing with it. But finding a game that's sort of middle of the road for a lot of people and kind of saying, hey, um, does this kind of hold up? You know, which way does it fall? Is it going to be good or is it, you know, not going to uh, meet these sort of expectations that we typically have for games? Um, and Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time you've played this game, right? This was my maiden voyage. Oh, yeah, totally. I actually had to buy the game to play it. Yeah. And oddly enough, I was expecting to play it and then give it away or trade it or something. But it's on my shelf now. So Yeah, very yeah. cool. But Pam, you've played this game multiple times, correct? Yes, I have. Okay, tell us about that. What other systems have you played it on and what, which one did you plan on this time? Originally, I played it on PS4. Uh, mm-hmm. I played it through once, uh, just sort of normally, and then uh, after I realized how short it was, I played yeah. it through again to get all the collectibles and get the platinum <laughs> trophy. Awesome. Yeah. And then this time, uh, again, this was just free with Games with Gold uh, not too long ago, so I played it on Xbox One this time. Okay, so you've played at least three times then. Yep. Well, we picked the right person to come on the show then. (laughs) Sounds like we got an expert here. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that the forums, uh, Pam had said she'd played it several times, and I was like, I think it's a good time to have her on. That would be great. I'd like to hear from the perspective of someone who's played it multiple times, kind of what makes them want to keep playing it, because you're obviously not going to play it three times if you didn't find some sort of enjoyment in it. Let me start off with the story. It's basically um, this is guy. His name's Ronan. He's a detective with a highly checkered past who's in pursuit of a serial killer known as the Bell Killer. And this Bell Killer leaves these sort of bell markings on his victims or on the crime scenes. Uh, early in the game, uh, Ronan confronts the Bell Killer who pushes him from a four-story window and basically finishes him off in the street with a gun. Ronan's ghost has unfinished business in the real world, and his spirit is unable to cross over. It's sort of in this uh, limbo state. Uh, He soon realizes that he must work with a young medium to find the identity of the bell killer and put an end to the murders in Salem, a town with its own sordid history, as we know. And I gotta admit, I didn't know that this game was set in Salem, Massachusetts when I purchased it. I don't even know if it's mentioned on the back of the box. Yeah, I didn't know that ahead of time either. I thought it was yeah. interesting. Obviously, it's a very important part of the game. So, Sure, it is. Would it have affected your purchase, do you think? Uh, if you'd have known I that? I don't know. I, I might have thought it was cheesy or a little yeah. cliche for it to be, oh, ghost story set in Salem, cool dude. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. maybe I'm better yeah. off that I didn't know that. I don't know. That's kind of how I felt, too. I mean, I felt like if that was on the back of the box, it's something I wouldn't have picked up because I feel like there's certain things that are sort of overdone. And I feel like with the history of the U.S. and the Salem Witch Trials, I feel like it's sort of something that's kind of overdone and overused Mm -hmm. in a lot of things. But I find myself really enjoying this game. And surprisingly, it, it really fits with the plot. How about you, Pam? Yeah, I wasn't aware that it was Salem at first, although it probably would have made me a little more interested. Uh, While I agree that it is sort of overdone uh, in movies and things, I can't really think of a whole lot of video games that use Salem. Okay, that's a good point. I guess you're right. It really hasn't had much of a presence in video games as it has in literature and movies and things of that nature. 
like I said, I don't know that I would have picked it up had I seen something like that because I would have kind of, I guess, put it into a certain box and been a little unfair in judging it. But as I played the game and the sitting just really became a really nice part of the narrative and it, it's something that really worked well for me. This game is, it's not open world, but I would guess I would call it kind of confined world. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I think one of the issues with the game that a lot of people mention is sort of the mechanics as far as getting around and finding different places. And I think this was something that you even mentioned on the forums, Pam. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble, which it's not a very big map, like overall. But uh, for a lot of it, you have to go through back alleys and things, and there's the Mm -hmm. consecrated walls that you can't go through. And so I just had a heck of a time anytime I was going somewhere uh, that wasn't my next destination, like if I wanted to backtrack and go find some collectibles, especially trying to get back to that first apartment building, I always had trouble every single time. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like it was almost like two maps, and there was like sort of this one little alleyway that connected sort of these bigger areas. And so as you're moving throughout the game, the distance is sort of metered. There's like this little arrow that points you in the direction of your goal or where you're supposed to be going. But it seems that like when the meter gets to zero, sometimes that kind of resets and then you're going in that direction again. But sometimes that can be sort of a dead end. So you have to find your way around it. And it it can be a little frustrating at times when you just want to sort of get on with the story. And I guess with that, we should mention that there's no map in the game, right? That's one of the things you brought up and what makes it a little bit frustrating. I feel like if you had a map, you could kind of pinpoint it or figure out where you're supposed to go, where that sort of cut through is to get to the other side. Yeah, exactly. Even if it was just a simple sort of over map of the whole area, that would have been immensely helpful, I think. And I, it seems like, uh, like what kind of game doesn't have a map? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, good point. How about you, Sean? Any trouble with the mapping or getting around in the game? Or did you have a better time than we did? Um, I want to say first, this is kind of funny that I I forgot to look at it, but I do believe there's a DLC map. I don't know exactly what it is, but there was like an insert in my game when I bought it with a code for a a map. So (laughs) uh, that might have helped, but I didn't download it. And I did have some of the issues that you all did, but maybe not quite as much. I found the general quest marker to be mostly useful, but that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I didn't get lost from time to time. And I I can understand your frustrations. Maybe I just got luckier with finding the right alleyway to scoot down and just getting from point A to B to C. I did have one segment. I don't know if you guys got caught up in this, but there was one segment, I think I was trying to get back to the church, and I was somewhere far away from it, and there's a part where you think you have to turn into the cat, and you go through this whole sequence with the cat, and it puts you up on top of a second floor, like, balcony, and I still don't know, like, what you have to do at that point. I actually found another way. Like, I found out I was totally lost, should not have been in that cat section, <laughs> and ended up getting back to the church. But then I thought, well, what was that section with the cat? Like, what was the purpose of it? You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything with it, like, even to find a secret or, you know, one of the collectibles yeah. or anything. It was very bizarre. So, but yeah, in general, like, the navigation for me, I don't. I don't think it was too bad, but yeah, it could have been vastly improved with just a, even a mini map, like doesn't have to be a full on map. 
Yeah, I had that same DLC, but I I didn't use it either. I mean, I bought the game used, so I feared it was probably already used up as most stuff is, you know, when you buy a used game. But yeah, I mean, Pam brought up the consecrated walls and the objects, which I thought was really cool. You can't go through doors or the walls of buildings, but once you get inside a building, you can mainly go through most of the walls, unless it's the outer walls, right? Um, so you have to find ways into these buildings. And then even through the outside, there's these consecrated like objects, which sometimes are really odd, but sometimes really cool. Like the old ship, you have to kind of go around. Uh, there's several like gallows in the town that would be invisible to the uh, like the human or the living, like naked eye. But as a ghost, you can kind of see those things. And it, it gives the game a really eerie feeling. It's really cool. I, I really like that whole idea of, um, you know, sort of consecrated objects and things you can't get around. And, uh, you know, there are times when you have to uh, kind of solve and figure out how to get around those things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on. We can talk about the characters a little bit. Uh, we mentioned Ronin, who is this redemptive sort of character. He is a detective with a somewhat uh, criminal past. And as I mentioned before, that we say that somewhat loosely. I mean, it seems like he's got a highly... Uh, <laughs> what a horrible past, right? I mean, like, yeah, like the kind uh, of person who would never be allowed to become a police officer kind of past. Yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. A little, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a plot hole there, an antihero. That they do fill that hole, though, right? He has a brother-in-law True. who's on the force True. who got him on. There's some officers very skeptical of Ronan, and they don't know if they like him or not. Uh, some of them do. Some of them think, well, yeah, he had a bad past, but he's done great things. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a way for him to, uh, I guess, redeem himself from his bad past. But uh, he has all these tattoos that he gets to sort of uh, remind himself of his bad past, it seems. What do you guys think about this character? Does it work? Does it not work? I mean, you, you mentioned that, Sean. I mean, you know, this kind of guy would probably never get a job in law enforcement. So did it did it work for you? Did it make it more interesting? Or what do you think? Uh, definitely not more interesting. I think Ronan as a character, uh, and this is a common criticism of him with, within the game, is he's very bland. Even mm-hmm. with this flashy, like, bad boy backstory... <laughs> Um, he's just very bland. His voice actor is very mellow, but yet somehow it fits. I thought it was very natural, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say, oh, best character ever. It was just like, I don't know, listening to a mellow song or something that you, you like it, but it doesn't light the world on fire. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I don't know. You get headed to script and you're like, okay, you're going to be playing a ghost who smokes a cigarette with bullet holes through him. Go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> the checkered pass how about you pam how did you feel about it yeah i thought he was okay i like how they sort of tied some things in like how he wasn't particularly liked by other cops mm-hmm. on the force uh, sure that worked well with his backstory um and julia's brother but yeah he was sort of not a standout game protagonist for me but did the job yeah. And I had written in my notes, like, somewhat of an anti-hero. I don't know if I really agree with that, because I, I don't want to say he's an anti-hero. I, I guess he's a hero just with someone with a bad background, because there's nothing really bad about him. And what we really see is someone who's troubled, someone who had a rough childhood, whose parents were really not on the up and up, and someone who didn't really have much of a chance in life. We get most of Ronan's story 
through another character, and that's Julia, his former wife, who you find out not too long in the game was actually murdered herself trying to break up a fight between two men. Pam was talking about the collectibles in the game, and there are quite a few. One of the ones that you come across quite a bit are Julia's notes, and it kind of gives you a better backstory into who Ronan is and what their relationship was like. And um, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I thought that was a really neat part of the game and really enjoyed learning more about this character through those notes. Yeah, I really liked that too. It made the collectibles and going out and finding all those secrets a lot more meaningful than a lot of games do, I find. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was nice to see that stuff, although you would probably miss quite a lot of the backstory if you weren't specifically seeking out those collectibles. That's true. You know, you mentioned going back through the game and, and getting collectibles and, you know, getting the Platinum Trophy. Was that kind of a tough task to do? Or did you have to use a walkthrough? I mean, I don't know how you played it, Sean. I, I tried to get as many as I could along the way. The story's kind of broken down in the different detective scenes. And I would try to find all those specific collectibles for each detective scene. And I would try to find all those. And I, I probably for the first three missions, I found them all, but then I, I couldn't find them for some of the other missions. They got a little bit tougher or they got into areas where I didn't want to go into because um, there were too many demons and things like that in the game. Yeah, I found most of the collectibles not too bad, but there were some of the sort of other stories, uh, like the other people who had died. Uh, there was one where there was, I think, gas canisters sort of all around the city. Yes. And I think uh -huh. there was a ridiculous amount, like 27 or something. So I definitely needed a walkthrough the first time I went to collect all those. Yeah, I kind of played it the same way you did, Rich. I wasn't looking for any of them. And I got to admit, I didn't read a lot of those journal entries that I picked up, but I felt like a jerk about it afterward because I had heard <laughs> afterward that they add so much yeah. context and like heart to the story. I was actually almost tempted to try and find like an FAQ or a script to read them uh, like offline, yeah. but it sounds interesting. It might just make it worth, you know, a second playthrough for me. As far as other collectibles or anything, I just kind of picked them up as I went. Also, I didn't go out of my way for anything. Yeah, I agree with Pam, you know, as far as what she said about this game is that, you know, the collectibles are definitely something that feels right in the game. A, a lot of games just force collectibles on you. And I'm not saying that this game doesn't. There's, I think there's a collectible where you like collecting like city plaques, like historical markers on buildings. It doesn't seem that it has any type of purpose or anything like that. But I do like Julia's notes and some of the backstories that went along that talked about the city and, and other things that had been going on. And I think it, they really fit well into the game, just so well integrated. And I think for someone who's really into collectibles on a game, this is one game that uh, you'll really enjoy. And, and a lot of them are just kind of along the way. You're just going to pass by them. You're going to pick them up. And uh, it really is worth reading some of those. You know, you could fire your game up and go back through your collectibles and read them that way. Or if, you know, you just want to get kind of an overall impression of um, especially the like Julia's notes and how the story progresses uh, or some of the backstory. Finding, like you said, an FAQ about that would be really cool um, and a good way to to go back through it. One of the other characters was Joy. She's the young girl. She's the medium who uh, basically aids Ronan in his search for the truth and for who the Bell Killer is. She's one of the few people that can actually see him. And so he has to kind of use her as his human presence to get in different places and to be able to, uh, you know, enact certain feats in the game. 
interesting character, I thought. There was something about Joy that I didn't like her at first at all, and she never really became more than like a poor man's Ellie from The Last of Us to me. And I wish that she hadn't been written to be so over-the-top snotty. I'm trying to put this the right way. Like, okay, one one of the things that really, like, confused me at the beginning was when, okay, she's a medium and she doesn't like all these ghosts, like, hounding her to talk to her all the time. But Ronan has to, like, argue with her that he's trying to solve the mystery of where her mother is. And she's basically saying, like, shut up, I got to find my mom. And he's saying, like, I want to help you find your mom. Like... It was very strange at first, like how standoffish she is with him. And then as the game goes on and they develop this like kind of friendship, it's still like so confrontational that I don't know. I thought she could have been so much better of a character than she was. So I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but. No, it does. I mean, she plays that whole Whoopi Goldberg card, right? From Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reluctant aid, if you will. Um yeah, but quite as likable as Whoopi was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I don't want to say that she should just be likable or she should just be complacent with whatever is asked of her to do. But she was just so the opposite direction of that, that she was like this one note character for a while. Yeah, but got a little bit better towards the end. But in general, I wish she had more of a personality. I don't even care if it was a, a quote unquote nicer personality or whatever. She was just like kind of too one note to me. Yeah, they took the surly teenager thing a little bit too far. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it for sure. All right. Uh, the next character, Rex, who was uh, Ronan's brother-in-law, was Julia's brother. Again, we mentioned that he's the one that got Ronan on the force, got him the job. He was also a detective. I think he's the head detective. Seemed very upset about Ronan's death. It's kind of odd to me that you've got a brother-in-law who not only is like the head of a detective force, but also the sibling of the one who married this guy. And so it's the sort of closeness of their relationship, him being so upset about it, and he and Ronan having such a close relationship kind of stuck out like a red herring to me in the beginning of this game. And I don't know how you guys felt about that. I kind of tagged him as the bell killer at the beginning of the game very early on. And I just kind of want to know sort of your thoughts. I mean, was this sort of a really believable relationship? I mean, I have two brother-in-laws, and I like to think that I'm close to them as well, but I don't have a checkered past, <laughs> so I'm not a police detective, so I find that kind of odd, you know, that he would be so helpful and so uh, loving of someone who wasn't family. Yeah, they were, like, suspiciously close throughout the whole game, and it, it doesn't amount to anything, so I guess that is, like, just kind of a thing that you're asked to believe. I don't think I have anything, like interesting to say about him so maybe pam does i don't know if i have anything interesting to say either i think maybe it was just meant to sort of play off baxter a little bit yeah good point uh, i didn't really think of it that way of you know the in-law relationship and why it's so close but um yeah that never struck me as a a strange thing 
maybe I'm just the very suspicious type, you know, and having in-laws and, uh, you know, analyzing my relationship with this relationship is something I probably did as, uh, you know, I played the game. And interesting that you mentioned is, you know, you mentioned Baxter sort of playing off each other's sort of foils in this game. Uh, Baxter is sort of this tough guy cop who you really think, you know, not too smart He's got a thing against Ronan because he knows about his past, and he's not really upset when uh, Ronan dies and makes a remark to Rex, who basically slugs him, you know, for the remark. But the most interesting part about Baxter is he becomes the game's really primary red herring. He's the one that, uh, you know, Ronan thinks is in on it when later on, spoiler, you find out that... uh, He's basically really getting close to finding out who the Bell Killer is. And he's sort of right on the trail, and he knows uh, Cassandra and Joy, and he kind of understands that this person is uh, killing mediums. And, uh, and obviously he's the one who's uh, got uh, Cassandra in a safe house and looking for Joy not to harm her, but to uh, bring her to her mother. So um, any thoughts on this character? He was well set up as that red herring, Rich. I agree with that completely. I, I kind of bought into it when you first move the gun rack and then it shows the flashback of Baxter like messing around back there. I was like, okay, we're, we're getting somewhere with this guy. But uh, then, you know, of course, later on when he gets killed, that, that was an interesting scene too where he, he gets killed <laughs> and your ghosts are talking to each other and now you're both trying to kind of figure things out with, with new information. But... uh yeah, interesting. Uh, Red Herring couldn't put it better. Yeah, I also thought that if not the Bell Killer, then he was the one who killed Ronan. Although um, what you just said about the ghosts talking at the end, I did find it strange that Ronan and Baxter both come back as ghosts with unfinished business after they're murdered. But Julia, who was murdered as well, is just like, no, this is fine. I'm moving on. Yeah, that's a very good point. I guess she knew who her killers were. I mean, just kind of two men and, you know, there there wasn't any kind of unresolved mystery as to who her killers were. She was wrong place, wrong time, just doing something stupid that she should have never been involved in. But yeah, yeah, it's a great point. I like the Baxter character. I think it worked really well as a red herring and um, just a fun character. And when you talk about cop characters, it's sort of that stereotypical, like, brute cop that you always see. There was one in Heavy Rain, and I, and I, I never could think of his name. Well, he was terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got one more character, and, you know, again... Spoilers on this, uh, because I know we can't really talk about this character without spoiling anything. But Abigail, who's the young girl ghost, she's the first person you encounter after your death who sort of teaches you the ropes. Ironically, um, the one behind the bell killings. And she's basically using other people, including Ronan, as a means to possess them and, as you find out, kill these mediums who she considers witches. I thought this character was interesting in that being set in Salem, possibly this was someone who was wronged. You know, if a ghost had anything to do with it, I would think it would be someone who was wrongly accused would be the one behind these murders and and seeking some sort of redemption in that way. But it's quite the opposite. This is someone who was not accused as being a witch, but someone who had sort of a brand in the fire against witches. So one of the accusers. And I thought that was an interesting way they kind of flipped that from what you kind of normally see in, you know, stories. 
I liked Abigail. I did find that her motives were quite unexpected because I thought, you know, either she had been falsely accused of being a witch or maybe she was a witch. So I definitely didn't see it coming that she was one of the people just accusing people of being witches and having some kind of vendetta that she was continuing to carry out. Yeah, and I think as a character who you're introduced to kind of early in the game, she's very mysterious, but also very ominous. And I'm not saying like, oh, I figured out she was the the bad guy, but like it made more sense the like kind of off-putting, off-kilter feeling that she gives off in the beginning of the game uh, mm-hmm. to kind of find out that she's the one pulling the strings for all these things happening. So Yeah, I never pinned her. I think like I'm too trusting of children. And I shouldn't be because I have three and they're very devious (laughs) in times. (laughs) But I think, you know, just her being so young, I was just very trusting. Okay, this is just the way the game's going to introduce itself. This is sort of your tutorial. I didn't expect her to pop back up in the game at all. You get a few glimpses of her throughout the game. There's little flashes of her. But I can't say that I got sucked in by Baxter as the red herring. That didn't happen. I, I obviously knew that he was going to be the red herring because everything was pointing right at him. My thoughts went to Rex just because I was so weary of the brother-in-law relationship. Rex did have something to do with it. He was the one that did kill Ronan. So I was correct in that. But the overarching story as far as who the real killer was, you know, I was completely off on that. Did you guys have any guesses or did you figure that out early on? Heck no. The multiple killers thing was a total revelation. But I I thought it was cool, though. It was was one of those revelations that was like, oh, man, that's great. You know, like what, what a great idea. Yeah. And something I was going to mention is my favorite part of the story, which was in kind of masking this, which I think the game does a fantastic job of doing. There's this point, and I think where you're chasing Sophia through the graveyard and you finally get to the tree Mm -hmm. and then she points at his badge. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, that means that the killer is a cop. I did not figure out that the reason she's pointing at him and that badge until the end of it, which was a fantastic revelation, is he was the one that killed her. And her mouth was kind of sewn up. I don't know if you could see that. She couldn't speak. I thought that was just a wonderful story element and something that was really neat that was worked into the game. I don't know. Did you guys pick up on that one? Yeah, I didn't pick up on that the first time playing through. But I agree. That was sort of one of the better things um, in terms Mm -hmm. of video game storytelling. I thought that was very clever. Finding out that Ronan himself had killed one of the girls was definitely a shocking moment. Yeah, absolutely. Since we're talking about the story, I read something in doing research for this show and that in an interview with IGN, Yosuke Shiokawa, uh, wow, I I did it that time. Amazing. That was good. (laughs) who is actually the creative director of this game, he noted that this game was inspired from watching the movie Die Hard and asking himself, what if John McClane died? Was he just going to give up or, you know, would he continue pressuring on? I love Die Hard. That's one of my favorite movies. I watch it at Christmas every year, and I would have never put that together in playing this game. But it's it's certainly an interesting thought, and uh, I really love to hear when video game designers let you know like how they come up with the premise of a game and something that I thought was cool to take away from this game. So while we're kind of talking about the characters as well, we should talk about sort of the visuals of the game. And I, I think, Pam, you mentioned a little of this on the uh, the forums. You started talking about the presentation and how it looked. 
Yeah, I really like how they treated the ghosts and the consecrated areas. Uh, mm-hmm. Ghosts are generally done sort of transparent, which is a little bit more difficult to do in a game. But I really liked the sort of ghostly blue tinge that everything had. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. How about you, Sean? What did you think about the visuals and the kind of the game design? You're a fan as well? Yeah, I agree. I think the whole thing has kind of a, a dream-like sheen to it, that blue and gray-ish tones, which if it wasn't a ghost story would be kind of drab and boring, but it really works for this. And and yeah, the character models are great, uh, especially for the, the ghosts. For the most part, I think you can kind of tell when something, when you can't walk through it or when you can... I like even the cat model. The cat model could have been better, but the movements were actually very well done. I don't know if they did, you know, cat mocap or just did keyframes on that, but it, it, it looked really cool and playing as a cat like felt good. So I like the environments too. A lot of people complain that you, you get lost in the buildings running through walls constantly, but mm-hmm. I didn't really have that kind of problem because I felt even though there's not a extreme level of detail, they're detailed enough that you can kind of keep your bearings about you. I think I've maybe felt that more than some people. I agree. I never felt disoriented going around through the buildings and stuff. I always felt the need to like sort of overexplore sometimes. And I guess that was because I was looking for some of the collectibles, especially the ones that kind of pertain to each story. But I I thought it was well designed. I thought each area gave you a little bit of exploration, but at the same time was linear enough so that you always knew where you were going. Mm. Well, let's talk about the cat scenes a little bit. I mean, you, you mentioned right. it. What, what did you guys like? <laughs> what did you guys like so much about the cat scenes? Are you just cat people? I am. I mean, I mean, I'm a huge cat lover. <laughs> okay, I have two awesome cats, and I think I probably mentioned on the show before. My wife and I used to work at a animal pound, so dealt with a lot of cats. Great cats, so. Uh, it's not a lot of games that you get to play as a cat, so this was really cool. And like I said, the the cat looked cool. The mechanics were pretty neat. I did mention in the forum that I wish it was a little bit more free form. There were a lot of like contextual button presses to do jumps in very specific places, but I think they had to do that to keep the sequences focused and not have you just be a lost cat running around, so... I understand why they did it, but uh, yeah, I loved playing as the cat. Me too. Just what you said. How often do you get to play as a cat in a game? So I just enjoyed that. If you've always wanted to play as a cat in a game, please buy Murdered Soul Suspect. But yeah, so I mean, you bring bring up a great point about it too, is that like, it's very Mm -hmm. linear. There's like these arrows that show you sort of where you need to go. You don't get to do a whole lot of exploration. Playing as a cat definitely has its goal. Um, And Pam, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. You can actually become a cat outside, which I didn't really do. Is that necessary to obtain a lot of the collectibles in the game? Yeah, there's an area that sort of looks like something's under construction, and there's a cat wandering around there. So you can use the cat to find a few of the extra collectibles. Although once I used the cat and ran somewhere where I guess I shouldn't have because I got stuck. (laughs) (laughs) i think i tried it one time outside and i couldn't find any like markings like where i was supposed to jump and i think it took me a while to figure out that there was an actual button for jumping so i didn't do too much exploring outside this is sort of uh one of those games that you can kind of sit down and finish it within like anywhere from six to eight hours 
I think you said you had uh, just sat down on a Sunday and finished it, right? It was actually two play sessions. Just like okay. Did it over the weekend. Sean, you finished it rather quick as well, right? Yeah, I did. I was playing it in the morning before I went to. It took me about a week because I I played it one like uh, over okay. one long weekend. Not a long weekend. I played it for a long time over a weekend and then finished it over the next few days playing about an hour in the morning before I went to work. So, yeah, but it is very short. And like, at least for me, it had me coming back to it frequently and wanting to stay with it. I mean, a lot of games, even games that I love, sometimes it's just like, oh, I'm done with it. I'm going to do something else. Not that it's boring, but it just doesn't like hook you in a certain way where this game totally did. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, length wasn't really a problem. I know there's a game that came out a few years ago. Was it called The Order or something like that? And everybody was complaining about the length of the game. Mm -hmm. But I heard very few complaints about people actually enjoying the game. It was about the length of it and, you know, having to pay full price for a game. For me, it's, it's sort of one of those things. If it's enjoyable, I don't really mind how long it takes to play a game, and I guess that's from being an older gamer, whereas, you know, I can sit down and play Mega Man 2 and finish that in 45 minutes or so. You know, it's only a 45-minute game once I've learned to play it. It just doesn't bother me for a game to be short as long as it's quality. I don't know how a lot of people feel about that, but for me, quality is definitely more important than sort of the quantity of time put into a game. Yeah, quality is important, but I also find that I prefer shorter games now like when i hear a game is you know 40 hours long and just like oh that's that's so much time i could play so many other games in that length of time even if i'm going looking at my steam library i'll look up how long to beat this and anything that's over a certain amount of time it's uh sort of a mark against it for me because i feel like so many games just pad out their length artificially and i'd rather just have something nice and concise yeah, I'm with that completely, at least for the time being. I'm trying to jam through a lot of shorter games. That'll change when Persona 5 comes out in a couple months, and I'm just going to like drop everything and, <laughs> and just play that. Well, let's not drop everything. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> let's at least play one other game a month. <laughs> So let's uh, go ahead and move on to the gameplay. Murdered Soul Suspect is a game basically that's sort of broken up into what's 
called investigations. You move from one investigation to the next. And as a part of that, you look over a crime scene and you pick up different items and you try to put these items together or answer certain questions based on the evidence you collected. So I want to hear a little bit about both your thoughts on that and how it works in the game. Does it work well or not? I think this was something that came up on the forums and people are a little critical of. Yeah, it definitely deserves a little criticism. It's one of those things where it adds color and context to everything, but there's very little skill involved or even what you might call gameplay because there's no fail state. You're just trying to experience everything. And once you make the connections that they want you to make, you move on. I mean, there are right and wrong answers, but like I said, there's no fail state. You have these like lives, I guess, they are these little badges, but like nothing happens when you run out of them. So, oh, really? I, I think I was wondering yeah, that. So, I'm surprised I haven't used this term more. I thought I would. This is very half baked. And, and when we talk about the stealth section, I'm going to tell you that it's half baked. And I was thinking, like, I'm going to use that phrase a lot in the show, but this is my first instance of that. So, yeah, it's, it's basically just like a point and click kind of situation where you're just trying to activate each piece of evidence that's in your area and then answer whatever the question is that they want you to answer by looking at the right piece of evidence. Pam, you had some specific thoughts on it as well from the forums, I remember. I did, yeah. I didn't find the puzzles or the solving was very intuitive. Um, I don't know. I think I was just trying to overcomplicate them. Like I was trying to be really like logical and use deductive reasoning. And most of the time, the answer was just much more simple like that. Like the first one you have right when you're at the crime scene of Ronan's body and there's three clues that you have to find and then you have to look over a another police officer's shoulder at his notepad of what he's writing and he's got three things written down and you have to pick the most important piece of evidence and there was one piece about how someone in the building that you had just fallen from was missing. So I thought, oh, this seems interesting. This might lead somewhere. But the, sure. the correct answer was the fact that you had been shot with your own gun, which you already saw. And then Ronan even mentioned it. I was shot with my own gun. Like, stupid me. So it's like, I already knew that. That's not the most important piece of evidence. So Sure. Yeah, no, and I don't think you were overthinking at all. I think you get into a situation sometimes where you have several answers that are valid. In this case, you know, it's really not overthinking. It's like being a good detective, like you said. I mean, someone's missing. You need to find who that someone is. Maybe they have something to do with the case. Mm -hmm. Seems much more important than you being shot with your own gun, right? Yeah. And so that's the way you look at it. Um, I agree. I mean, those scenes were a little frustrating for me. And I think uh, I'd started playing the game after you'd made that comment. So thank you. I got that one right. <laughs> um, but um, you also have these other scenes where you can sort of rebuild the crime scene. You come across these like essences of these characters and you can kind of rebuild it. And these words sort of float around on the screen and you choose from what you see in the picture. Like there'd be things like frightened or happy or searching, looking for something. You know, you're trying to pick the words that sort of correspond mm -hmm. with what you're looking at. I thought those were fair fairly intuitive and not hard to figure out. But some of the other things where you have to sort of sort through the evidence and go through it, I don't know. It, it, it was a little confusing. And luckily, I mean, I never like blew it three times in a row. I was afraid something horrible was going to happen <laughs> if I did. And so 
I probably studied stuff a lot more than I should have, but uh, definitely I felt like this was one of sort of the faults in the game. I thought the detective work could have been a little better. Now, you say you play a lot of the Sherlock games. Are are they different in this way? Or are they similar? Yeah, the Sherlock games are much more logic-based. Like, they've got a bunch of different puzzles, uh, whether it's, you know, solving combinations and math puzzles or actually using deductive reasoning. They're definitely much better done in the Sherlock games. Okay, well, cool. I did want to talk a little bit about item recognition in the game, as long as we're talking about like points or things that maybe we didn't really care for in the game. I thought a lot of times item recognition was tough. You use your right thumbstick to put it on items, you know, sort of look up and down and change your direction. I felt like a lot of times that it wasn't very intuitive and it didn't like key on certain things that I felt that I was looking right at. I don't know. Did you guys have this problem as well? Yeah, a couple times we would say like, oh, you have seven out of eight clues. And I'm like, where is the eighth one? You know, like just looking around like not like a pixel hunt, but like what the hell? Oh, it's this little thing on this table that I've walked by five times, but I didn't have my camera on it in a way that gave me the contextual button press, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really happened to me when you go into the asylum and you find the girl uh, one of the twins, there was this one clue that was like right in the crevice of the corner to the right of her. It took me forever to find it. And it gives you a counter, so you know exactly how many clues are in the room, right? Before I put anything together, I'm going to have to find all those clues. I mean, it's it's my nature. It, it would bug me if I didn't find everything. So I spent probably a lot more time than I should have because I could not find a lot of things. Sometimes you would have to just be looking the right way or have your um, pointer on certain things. And just kind of a, a nice segue into talking about the demons, one of the things I had a lot of trouble with sometimes was being able to get it to point at the essences so that I could hide from the demons when they were chasing me. Yeah, or getting it to point at the right one if they were clustered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the enemies in this game were these demons. They came in two fashions. There were some that were basically traps on the floor, like hands that you could very easily avoid, and then more of a physical demon form, sort of like a banshee. Because, yeah, they did scream at you a lot of times, which is pretty cool. They look like Dementors from Harry Potter. Yeah. There's two ways you can deal with these demons. You can try to sneak around them. Or you can hide from them. You could also go up behind them and execute them as well, which for me was sort of my preferred method. Would have liked for it to be my overly preferred method. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I did have a lot of trouble with that. And I don't think I'm the only one, right? Yeah, no, the executions are so hard to pull off and they don't work <laughs> like 30% of the time or something. Um, and yeah, the stealth in general, if we can get into that. The, sure. The way you can deal with these guys is to stealth past them, but it's so challenging. Like Ronan does not have the ability to edge along walls or crouch or do anything. You're just doing the normal third person walking to get around mm -hmm. these guys. And they have like a cone of vision and they tend to turn mm -hmm. around really quick. I found myself in a, in a lot of instances earlier in the game. I was like, okay, this is Metal Gear Solid now. Like learn their patterns and get around them and everything. But then... Sooner or later, I ended up running through, like literally just running through every <laughs> single one of these segments because you can. It, sometimes it takes a couple attempts, but you might be able to just stealth past one guy and then run past the other three. 
So yeah, I cheesed it. I started just throwing caution to the wind and running through them because it was just faster. Yeah, I tried not to do that, but I ended up having to do that when I had spent like an hour and a half trying to make it through the asylum. Most of the story places have at least one area where you have to get by demons. Yeah. I got to the asylum and I literally spent an hour and a half at that place. I was so frustrated at one point that I was like, I'm not going to finish this game. I was like really upset about it. I mean, there's certain games last year that I didn't finish, but I didn't get upset about it. But I thought this is a game I should be able to finish. And so I did have to just take off and run and run into the uh, I think it's like the examination classroom after you run through them. And there are like two essences in there. And I just had to just keep going back and forth between those like essences until they finally went away. Because I, I could not figure out a proper way around their cone of vision, which to me was just completely ludicrous. I think if they would have nerfed that a little bit, it would have been so much better. I thought that the action for execution was really poorly done in this game. And that that's a shame. That could have made the game so much better, in my opinion, and made my playthrough a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I killed every demon, just because that seemed easier to me than trying to sneak past them. Uh, I do agree that the executions aren't super easy to pull off. It's the same problem as with the items where just sometimes that contextual button won't show up unless you're in the exact mm-hmm. right yep. camera angle. But yeah, I ended up killing all of them. I just found that whole mechanic didn't really add anything to the game. I mean, every time I got seen and then I just had to spend like two minutes just jumping between spirit to spirit, it just felt like such a huge waste of time. It reminded me of Deus Ex where every time I get seen, I have to hide in a vent for five minutes. Like it didn't, it didn't do anything uh, positive for the gameplay. Yeah, I agree. And I like the design of the demons. I didn't feel like having them in the game was a waste of time, you know, because I think it would have been rather boring just to go from one detective scene to the next and not having some sort of adversity in the game in some way you could actually die. But at the same time, like you said, there's just parts of it that's just poorly executed, uh, no pun intended. But uh, some of it was pretty good. I I did enjoy the crows. I thought that was kind of cool. You could use those crows to make them run over and that would help in your execution. But even so, one of the things I didn't like was that it would only call one at a time and that the range of the crows wasn't always that great. I would have liked for them to be like a little bit better range and I could call one over with a crow. But while I'm executing that one, another one would see me, yet it wouldn't be bothered in the same way by the crow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had that same problem with the crow. Yeah. But uh, I did like that addition to the game, and I I did think it made the game um, very interesting. Um, There were some other things that you could do, such as possessing other people to find out more information or how to get around, or possessing uh, a guy vacuum cleaning a floor one time to get around (laughs) demons, which I thought was really neat. I really liked that part of the game, and uh, it wasn't very intuitive to me at first. I did have to think about it and figure out how to do it. And then there were other scenes where you could, like, poltergeist certain items to, um, mainly to help Joy navigate through different places. Yeah, the Joy segments were also, like, really half-baked. I don't know if there was a fail state, but I was very reckless because, you know, you can just wait for the queue, basically, and then just set off the fax machine. 
she doesn't go when you tell her to go. She just goes when the coast is clear. So all you got to do is clear the path for her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's no skill in it. It's not like Resident Evil 4 where you have to tell Ashley to sure. move at the right time. You just, you know, distract the guy and then she moves. So it's Yeah, and there's no wandering guards or anything like that to kind of circle around and like catch her. There, there's no risk involved in anything. It's just a matter of poltergeisting the correct object to get her to move forward. Mm. It doesn't feel like gameplay. And then uh, you do get a skill called teleportation. I would say you get the skill about halfway through the game. Is this something you guys used a lot? Because I don't recall using it very much in the game, except when I got it. I think I mainly just used that to get to collectibles and things. And then there was one scene where there's the train in the museum. Yep. I think I used it yes. there. Yeah, yeah, that is one part where you do use it quite a bit. That was sort of an aggravating scene. I, I died quite a few times with that, not teleporting far enough into the alcoves yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to get that sort of correct angle to shoot across. I think we've talked about the band Shonen Knife on the show before, Rich. You, you like them, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. You know the song they have, Ghost Train? That's no oh, man. They have this song. Familiar. It's like Ghost Train. Oh yeah. So like every <laughs> like during that scene, I was just singing that song to myself, especially when I got killed. Uh, it's just a funny song that was stuck in my head that whole time because of the Ghost Train. Uh, well, I'm sure listeners are gonna enjoy hearing your lovely voice. Oh, thanks <laughs> for showing a knife. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then something I think a lot of people really enjoyed with the game were the side quests, which I thought were very interesting and, uh, you know, added a little bit to the game. Everything seemed to be sort of in a very tightly confined space when you would get these little side quests. And of course, in doing this, you know, you're helping your character Ronin show his softer, redemptive side and helping these people make their way to the light as well. Yeah, I liked the side quests and sort of helping out the other ghosts, although I had mm-hmm. the same problem with some of them as I did with the more general clue puzzles, where when you had to put something together, um, it didn't always make sense. There was one particular one where a woman had killed herself and her fiancé was with a new woman and she yeah. was concerned that he had been with her before and she needed to find out what happened and i found the sequence of events you put together didn't make any sense to me well as a completionist pam i I wanted to ask um one thing i noticed when i would come across several of the ghosts you would speak to them and when you first were introducing yourself to them and they would give you like two possible responses to that ghost did it matter which response you had why was there a choice because sometimes i would speak to them and i would not get any type of quest or get to do anything to help them? Do you have to respond in a certain way to get them to let you aid them in uh, helping figure out what's wrong with them? Or how does that work? Um, I didn't think so. I thought that it was just what information they gave mm-hmm. you, but um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not positive about that. Because I was wondering, because it didn't seem like there were a whole lot of side quests in the game. It seemed like there was only like a handful. And so I was wondering if I had missed something. Did you guys encounter a lot of side quests in the game, or was it sort of similar to what I experienced? No, there was just a handful, probably maybe five or six. Okay, okay. Oh, that's good. I, I thought there were actually way more, and I kind of 
not that I felt bad, but I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't ignore all of these. But I, I only did one, and it's the one right before the first time you get to the church with the woman who... The boat. Yeah, with the woman with the boat. And what was kind of neat or whatever was that I triggered it at the beginning of the game, and I said, I don't want to do this. And then I went on with my life. And then, like, at some point later on in the game, as many times as you go back and forth to the church, I passed by her, and... I just got sucked in and I thought, let me just figure this out for this poor, sad lady, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and just for the sake of the show, I thought I, I, I should do this side quest. It doesn't seem like it'll take long. And it didn't. It took literally like two minutes to just gather all the clues that were sitting right there and figure it out. So, yeah, I only did that one. But Pam, you were saying there was one that involves a collectible when you were talking about those fuel tanks. Is that the side quest with the arsonist guy or something? Was that involved with a side quest? No, that wasn't a side quest. It's just there are certain collectibles that aren't about any particular investigation. But if you gather all of them, like there's the gas canisters and then there's something in the cemetery. And if you gather all of them, it'll tell you like an audio story about someone and how they had died. Okay. And those are more tied to each environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was one with a guy who had crashed his car, but there were more little vignettes of characters, right, that you could just talk to. There were a lot of dialogues that weren't necessarily side quests, but um, little stories that you could get, I guess, from talking to NPCs. Did you all do any of those? Yeah, I mean, I spoke to a few people. That's sort of what I was talking about uh, when I'd mentioned to Pam. You get to answer these people in two different ways. You get a choice. And I was wondering if. If I would have answered some of these things in a different way, would I have got a, a side quest? That was kind of my problem with it, is I felt like there were only a handful of side quests. I would like to see more side quests. I think it would have added a little something more to the game, and given it a little more length and replayability. I did like the few that I got to do, but I felt like there could have been more. Certainly this town was a uh, hotbed for depression, so <laughs> people like trying to figure out why they had died or uh, trying to find something to get them back to the light. Yeah, I did find that outside of, you know, the main quests and things, there wasn't a whole lot of world building going on. Like, if Mm -hmm. you listen to people's thoughts around the town, people were either thinking about the bell killer or they were thinking about witches. And it's like, if you live in Salem, you're probably not thinking about witches too much. So maybe they were all tourists. Like, I don't know. Like, I I feel like once you've been there for a certain amount of time, witches wouldn't be the top of mind so yeah it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of um life to salem i guess yeah and there was some repeat in some of the dialogue as well that i noticed yeah. uh when i would talk to people which was and eh, it, it's a little unfortunate i wish that wouldn't have been a thing because you know two people aren't going to have the same thoughts so it kind of gets you a little off track and sort of breaks that uh, fourth wall a bit I think we've done a good job talking about collectibles, unless, Pam, there's anything else that you want to mention about them. I know that's something you really enjoyed in the game. Yeah, nothing really extra to mention. I just liked how they told uh, little stories rather than just being objects. Yeah, totally agree with that. And we'll just move on to sort of the final boss, or final boss battle, if you will. I've got a big question mark beside of that. Um... How did we feel about sort of the final confrontation here? Was it appropriate? Did any of you fail the timed event? And if you did, what happened if you failed it? 
I know I failed it at least once. Um, yeah, it's just a game over and throws you back into it kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I was kind of curious about that. I didn't fail it, but that was another portion where I used the uh, teleportation to get up there quick and save the character and, you know, confront Abigail. I don't know. What did you guys think about this being the ending to the story? Was it appropriate or um, would you like to see something a little more? No, I liked the ending. I thought it was pretty good. It's funny because we complain a lot about like quick time events as final boss battles. However, in this game, it like kind of goes with the territory. Like I, I didn't expect the final boss of Kingdom Hearts at the end of this game. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was just like, okay, this this is fine. Like just tell me what happens in the story. What's gonna happen to Abigail here? Like that was more what I was caring about than a quote unquote boss battle. You know. Yeah, I thought it fit because there wasn't, you know, any combat or anything throughout the game. So just using that sort of ability to possess people and things made more sense to me. Personally, I felt a little bit lacking. I felt like there were enough quick time events in the game that they could have maybe worked something into the game. I understand what you guys are saying, and I do agree with that in the respect of this game doesn't have a lot of action elements to it. It's more of a game where you're piecing like puzzle pieces and things like that together and trying to hash out the story. So in that sense, it does work because it only does what it does to sort of further the story, and it definitely works in that sense. guys think about the music and sound in this game the music wasn't particularly memorable but i found the sound was good for the atmosphere of the game yeah i agree more i think atmospheric than musical if you will Mm -hmm. sean any thoughts or yeah not anything particular either on my part i think uh music was fine nothing obtrusive you know fit the tone of everything pretty well and uh you know, the sounds, I'm trying to think of like a good specific sound. The kid, You can make the cat meow with the button <laughs> press. That sounded very realistic. So. <laughs> that gets a thumbs up. So, so you're going to uh, buy the soundtrack and pump it on your way yeah, to work every morning? Cats, cats meows from <laughs> Murdered Soul Suspect on my iPod. <laughs> So I guess we're going to wrap it up now. We've got our final thoughts on the games. Is there anything that we didn't mention about the game that you wanted to discuss or talk about? I have like a final impression of the game, so I guess I'll just jump in here. Like I said earlier, when this game was kind of out, it was one of those things that had a lot of criticisms of it. And as we've discussed, a lot of those criticisms are perfectly valid. It's just that sometimes you have to play a game like this to experience cool things like the cool graphics and sound, the cool story that we have going on here. And uh, the other major, major thing that I didn't want to harp on it too much, but the executions aside, this game has no combat. And I really, really love that. I always am intrigued when there are games, especially in the modern era, especially a 
I wouldn't call this a triple A title, but it was a major game, like you said, published by Square Enix. They weren't like not trying to sell copies of this game. A game that you don't wield a weapon, you don't have a gun, you don't have anything, you know, you are supposed to stealth and you can do these really not great execution moves, but for the most part, this game is not Gears of War and there's no combat at all. And I really appreciate that. I want to see that in more games. When I say that, I should probably clarify, it's not like this game is Gone Home or Dear Esther where there's no combat. This is a... Yeah, not a walking right, scene. This is a triple A third person game in the Unreal Engine, a modern game. You know what I mean? This wasn't meant to not be combat. It just so happens that it doesn't have combat. And for a game of this style, I find that very intriguing. I think it's a really positive thing. And I don't, I don't mind combat or violence or anything. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see more of this in games like where it's not necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, a game that's really more heavily focused on the story and delivering the story and and making you sort of a part of the story, which I think this game does really well. A lot of times as I end a call with this podcast, I feel like I'm overly negative about a game because I feel like there are a lot of areas we're attacking or saying this is just not as good or this could have been better. But I don't think we're trying to be overly negative about this game. I think this is something that, Sean, I, I think you and I really enjoyed, and Pam's played it three times, so apparently she's got some reason to be playing it more and, you know, enjoys it as well. So this is definitely a title that I would recommend for anyone looking for something that's cheap. You can usually find it for 5 bucks, always under $10. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really enjoyable experience. I mean, like we said, the length of it, it's not very long, but I feel like it's appropriate because I think any additional length added to this game would have made it a lot more cumbersome. I wouldn't mind a few more side quests. I thought that would have been nice. But as far as the overall narrative, I thought it was very well paced and really well done. How about you, Pam? Any final thoughts on this game? Yeah, it's one of those games where I obviously enjoyed it since I've played it three times now. At the same time, I could list, you know, ten things about it that I didn't really like or I didn't think were executed particularly well. But I think it does enough well, and it is nice to see something that's doing things a little bit differently. It's more focused on story as Sean said, no combat at all, which was very interesting. Uh, and I do think that the story was really well written. So despite its flaws, it's something I'm glad I've played and I would recommend it to other people. Absolutely. For me, it's a game that I would definitely go back to and play again sometime and maybe even dust off a few of those collectibles and, you know, knock those out. Because again, you know, you mentioned them, but I never thought they were too bad. I feel like if I would have put more time into it, I could have found more and gotten to some of those goals. But uh, the point for me was, you know, finishing the game with this playthrough while I had some time to do that. So, of course, that's what I did. Definitely a fun game. Definitely one that I enjoyed and uh, certainly would recommend. And I think the two of you would also give it a thumbs up. Heck yes. Yeah. 
So I wanted to speak for a minute about our next playthrough in March. We are kicking it back to 20 years ago, and we are going to be playing the original Diablo that was put out on PC and was released on uh, the PlayStation. A little bit of a pricey title on the PlayStation, and uh, I'm curious to see how uh, our call will go as far as people that are playing it on the computer and people that are playing the PlayStation versions, because I hear it's very different as... Uh, uh, most games that are ported are. Diablo is a really fun game. It was the title that put Blizzard on the map. It has a decent story, and I'm sure we will talk more about that, but I'm really impressed. We've announced it on the website and have a lot of people who are really, really excited about playing this game. So please join us in March for some Diablo. Come to the forums at RF Generation. Tell us what you think about the game and, uh, you know, share your history with us about the game as well. I'm sure this is one that a lot of people would love to revisit. And uh, if you have the original disc, come to the forums and we can help you get set up so that you can play it on your modern computer. So I uh, just want to take a minute to uh, thank you, Pam, for joining us again on the show. Hope we can have you again in the future for another game. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having me again. I always enjoy doing this. Yeah, and uh, tell everyone again where they can find you and what your different projects are. You can find me on Twitter, where my name is at Jasyla underscore. That's J-A-S-Y-L-A underscore. You can find my YouTube channel, which is called Cannot Be Tamed, where I do retro reviews and things. And then my podcast is Media Mavens, which is at mediamavens.simplecast.fm. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. And until next time. another episode thanks again for listening and extra thanks to everyone who participated in the playthrough and joined us on the forum at rfgeneration.com thank you pam for joining the show once again make sure to check out pam's youtube channel cannot be tamed and her podcast media mavens next month the rf generation playcast is going to hell Join us for a dive into the original PC masterpiece, Diablo, also available on the Sony PlayStation. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast.